0: My name's Chris Lane
1: and I'm Claire Cook
0: and this is the Not Forgotten Podcast.
1: So today we're going to have a listen back to Ben Woodfield's session. Uh, This follows on from Chris's session that he taught that we've listened to in a previous episode in this podcast series and so Ben you'll hear him talk about the Antioch network that he helps to lead in the Manchester diocese so do have a little listen to this and then Chris and Andre and I are going to have a chat about it afterwards so stick around if you want to hear our chat.
2: Well my name's Ben I'm a northerner I'm from the northwest of England I am uh, born in Preston, lived in Manchester for a long time, known Chris for a long time and I'm now in Bolton (laughs) and uh, I'm a vicar, lead a church plant in Bolton and lead a network called Antioch in the Diocese of Manchester which is a a small church planting network in our council estates and urban communities and we're passionate about seeing the church being alive in those places and then to do that, we're going to need to plant a heck of a lot of churches. And um, We want to see local discipleship and leaders, leaders raised up. Um, I was brought up in suburban Preston from a working-class family that made a little bit of money. And then at 17, when I became a Christian, I heard the Lord say to me, two weeks after my baptism, you're going to spend your life living and working on council estates, um, which is hilarious. My family had spent their life trying to get off estates, yeah? (laughs) But I've been on council estates since then. I'm in my 40s, and um, it's an absolute joy and honor. And I I want us to just look at that passage that Chris touched on in Romans 5. If you've got your Bibles there, uh, Romans 5, verses 3. Let's just read that. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Um, About 10 years ago, uh, I felt the Lord teaching me what it means to be trained for hardship, and and what began there was a work in me of of unpacking and dissecting a, th- a theology that I had in my heart where Christianity was all about me. And I felt the Lord saying, I'm going to take you through some stuff that's going to be deeply painful. And, and you need to know that it's me that's taking you through that. And I remember um, as I was ex- just working through this, thinking... That sounds great, Lord, because it sounds like it's you that's saying that, but it's not, it's not so easy when you're in the midst of it. But my experience of estate ministry is there is plenty of opportunities for suffering <laughs> that produces endurance, isn't there? We might not have a name for it always, but my experiences of estate ministry is, is two years on estates is probably the equivalent of 10 anywhere else. And then the extremities of that ministry. But the beautiful thing is, is the Bible that I read seems to say that fellowship with Christ and his suffering is what it means to be Christian. It's just that us lot in the West don't seem to like that idea too much. In fact, we, we seem to resist it at all costs. Where the universal church through the ages and through the, throughout the world is almost shouting at us, saying it's a privilege to suffer with Christ. But if you're honest, and this is me being honest, I don't like that. That's not. not, That doesn't sound too good. But that passage there that talks about character and that's our goal as a Christian, isn't it? Becoming more like Jesus, the person of Jesus. There's no easy route there, is there? Jesus is like, look, (laughs) look at my life. (laughs) Look at how it ended. Like, what do you think was going to happen following me? Like, it's just interesting, isn't it? And so, uh, the Lord a decade ago started to to work with me and work with what we were doing. And try and teach me what it means to be trained for hardship. That when it comes, it's not so much of a shock. That it, it, it's not going to be easy, it's going to be painful. And so uh, I think a state ministry provides many opportunities for participating in the suffering of Christ. I think a state ministry provides many opportunities for our own ideas, agendas, and plans to be disappointed by Jesus. I think a state ministry provides loads of moments where our ego can be torn apart. And Jesus loves that. He loves doing that. Because I, I think for a lot of us, Christianity has become about us. And Jesus is like, I'm, I'm afraid it's nothing to do with you. It's all about me. And so, as something that we've learned in our ministry this last few years. And it's interesting because what I think is really important is what we're not saying here is trained for burnout. Because let's be honest, a lot of us have been close to the edge. In fact, some of us have been over the edge, haven't we? We've got friends who've been over the edge. We've, we've, we all know someone who's been over the edge, and that's that is not what we're interested in. And it's this real balance, isn't it, between being trained for hardship but being healthy as well. And I don't think many of us get that fully right. And I'd love someone to do some writing on that, maybe Chris. You could do something. <laughs> yeah. The balance between not being burnt out but dying to ourselves. The balance between being obedient without seeing the results that we'd like and not giving up in the face of that. Um, Urban ministry, I think, can be described as being two weeks away from revival and two weeks away from everything falling apart. And that's how it's supposed to feel, I think. So if you're feeling like that, well done. You're probably in the right place. But the, the, here's the thing that we've learned, and we've been on th- uh, three estates in the Northwest, in Manchester and two in Bolton. We planted two churches in Bolton. And then um, the first church plant that we, that we planted on Oldham's estate, and Mel and her husband Lee are the leaders of that church now, amazing couple. And the first church we planted, we arrived and we'd been doing urban ministry for a little while. We had this bag of all the ideas that we'd seen work before. And I remember literally that first two weeks, us getting into the estate, moving in, and almost symbolically opening the bag and hearing the Holy Spirit say, what's the bag? <laughs> so whose bag is this? What's, what's in there? Zip the bag up, throw it out, actually, and learn how to get on your knees again. Learn how to pray. And so uh, we always say in our network now, what is your prayer life like? Because your prayer life will tell you how dependent and reliant You are on Jesus, like Chris has just talked about. And we can all talk a good game when it comes to prayer life. But let's be honest, let's look at our lives and let our lives speak for themselves. Like what is your prayer life like? Jesus said, Apart from me you can do nothing and we're a bit like, You sure Jesus? But prayer is a posture in it, that says, I've got nothing unless you show up, Jesus. And for us, a sign of health is a is a prayer life. In fact, my friend did, like, an informal study on ministries that have fallen apart or people who've fallen out of ministry, and a key denominator is a prayer life dis- diminishing. And I'm not talking about a different style. I'm not talking about what style you need to be doing, just as long as you're praying. Um, I try and pray two offices a day. My friend, Father Robert, I think, he's in the other room. He prays. He's trying to pray nine offices a day. Whatever works, you just get a prayer life. You, you need to be praying. Um, so prayer is, is almost a sign that, um, that you're fully reliant. Um, I think another thing that we've, we've often been smashed in the face with is, when did you last laugh in ministry? I, just, I wonder if you asked yourself that question just now and what the answer would be. It's a difficult question, isn't it? Because if the answer is, oh, it's, it's not been for a while, then there's something you're going to need to do about that. Um, if you want to, if you want to see the the wackiest party church, go and speak to Adam and Kim over there in Doncaster. Their church is incredible. Laughter throughout, discipleship and laughter. It's it's an absolute beauty. And I think that question is is a serious question actually, because if you've not laughed recently, then something's wrong. And the, and actually, I also think that's about hobbies as well. We need to have something that's not in the midst of what you're doing it gets super intense super quick this stuff doesn't it so what hobbies have you got your hobby is not church trust me don't say if it's got anything to do with church it's not a hobby you're a saddo go and get a hobby (laughs) like like when did you last laugh what gives you life what makes you smile go and do go and do it I think this is where we're going to find that balance of trained for hardship, the seriousness of fellowship in Christ's suffering, but health and well-being and laughter. Um, and I'm going to finish with this story uh, that's related to that, that verse that Chris brought out, 2 Corinthians 12, that we all want the dynamous power of Christ, don't we? We're like, Lord, we want more of your power. And, but, but often we, we finish that sentence with different things, don't we? The power of Christ may rest upon me if I boast in my skill set or in my That's It's weakness, isn't it? I boast in my weakness so that the dynamous power of Christ may rest upon me. We, um, we had a guy called Big Sam. He had a big ginger dreadlocks. He was a functional heroin addict, um, a registered anarchist. They have AGM meetings. And um, you'll see the irony. Um, and he was a militant atheist, Big Sam, militant atheist. And his friend had just OD'd, and he'd, he'd connected with us as a church, so, and we'd heard about him. So I went to his house, and if you've ever been in a heroin addict's house, you'll know what you're going to meet in there. And I remember walking into his bedroom and trying to work out which part of the mattress to sit on. Um, and I sat on it, and I, I, I preached the gospel to his face and said, you've got a plan Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for your life. And I remember him weeping, saying, man, I'm an atheist, but I believe what you're saying is true. And over the next few months, we saw Sam come to faith. We baptized him. And as he came out of the baptism waters, he shouted at his dad, who has just stood here. He's also a militant atheist. And he said, Dad, I've been born again. You should try it. <laughs> and um, and uh, Big Sam was a beautiful man. He still struggled with his heroin use. You know, things didn't happen overnight for him. And then one night he died of an overdose. And I remember that week shouting at Jesus. I felt like one of the psalmists, just shouting, saying, "How dare you take him? How dare you, Lord, take him?" What was the point? And in that moment of complete weakness, like we were really close to the edge that week. I remember just not just us as a family, but corporately as a church, we were close to the edge. We were like, Lord, this feels like a, a beautiful piece of fruit that's just been robbed from us. This is a beautiful person who's been brought into the kingdom. But I remember his mum challenged me, who isn't a Christian. She said, "Big Sue said, she's not called Big Sue, sorry. Sue said, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Big Sam. Sorry, Sue. Um, <laughs> it's just called Small Sue. Has <laughs> this been recorded? Oh, my days. Oh, Big Sue. Um, Sue said, this last three months of Sam's life, I've never seen him so happy. And if it's true what you tell me, he's in the biggest party he's ever been in in his life. And he used to party, Sam, he, he, but he's in the biggest party now. But that same week we had the Sunday after his death, so four days later, we had our testimony Sunday. And it's where we invite like, the whole community to come and hear stories of tran- transformation and then we have a big meal at our house afterwards, or somebody's house in the church. And I remember thinking, No, Lord, no, Lord. let's just cancel church. I don't even know if you're real at the moment, to be honest, Jesus. And then we had some testimonies. There was loads of non-Christian people there, including Sam's family. And then we all piled round to Pete and Catherine's house, the nearest house and the biggest house with so the biggest garden on the estate. And then we were because of the chaos of the week, we just hadn't been that organised. So we had a Christian chili. We had a, a bowl of rice and I remember we had a hundred people in the garden and I was on the table and I, w- you know, that exhaustion that you feel, that feels painful. You just, your body is just falling apart. That's, that's how I felt. Um, and I remember swishing the rice around in my, in front of me with a spoon and then um, people started to line up and me and my my friend was stood next to each other. He was on the Christian chili. I was on the rice. And I served five people rice. And the rice had basically gone down to one more spoonful. So I turned back to the kitchen and I said, Lord, I've had enough of this now. I've had enough. And I turned to the kitchen and I said, more rice, guys. Yeah, bring the rice out. And the reply came, that's the rice. That's all the rice. The rice is out. My friend said, don't panic. I'll ring up Domino's. I'll, I'll, Ten big Domino's pizzas. It's a lot of money, but we'll get them in. And I remember just thinking, I just grunted at him. I was so tired, and I just stirred the rice in front of me. And then um, as I stirred the rice, there's something happening in the bowl. And I thought, it's been a, it's been a ridiculous week. This is just, um, yeah, have, I t- have I taken drugs? Have I t- passively smoked weed again? I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> and I stirred the bowl, continue, and there was rice coming into the bowl from under the spoon. And I, I didn't say anything because I thought, no, I'm, I, I know I'm slightly off the scale, but I, I, this is going to look ridiculous now. And I kept mixing it around. And then I, and my mate punched me in the arm and said, he wasn't really a Christian at this point, he said, what the p- is just going on in that bowl? <laughs> uh, and the bowl was full of rice. And we served 95 more people from that same bowl of rice. Only me and my friends saw that miracle. But for me, that was 2 Corinthians 12 in action. And it was the beautiful grace of Jesus in the midst of our weakness. He's saying, I'm still here. I'm still for you and for this, this estate. I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And here's a little token of grace to help you along the way. And that'll probably never happen to me again. And I don't think I've heard of many food miracles like that in the West, actually. It's happening everywhere else apart from here. But it's not, in some ways, it's not about the miracle. It's about weakness isn't it and reliance on him and and so I'd love us we're going to go into a prayer ministry time aren't we Chris is there anything you want to say or reflect back because we wanted to have a bit of space didn't we I
0: don't think uh, think so I think it'd be good to pray
2: I, I sense there's a few people here actually and I know this feeling where we we talk about boasting in our weaknesses And I I really wonder if there's a few people in here who say, I feel too weak to boast in my weaknesses. I hope that makes sense. That You don't feel like you've got the strength. You don't feel like you've got the strength to muster up, to be reliant and boast in your own weaknesses. And Jesus wants you to come to him. His hand is always outstretched to us. He's in the business of of weakness. In fact, he can't resist it. He says his power is made perfect, in other words, made complete. And so I'd encourage you, if you feel too weak to even boast in your weaknesses, Jesus is here particularly for you, and he wants to refresh you and place his yoke upon you afresh. So Lord, we um, if we're honest, we know we've got nothing, Lord. Even when we're We feel most skillful and most resourced, Lord. We know it's hollow in your kingdom. But we also say, Lord, we we don't know how to be fully reliant on you, Jesus. We've got too much. We don't need you and we don't really want you, Lord, if we're honest. So we ask, Holy Spirit, you'd help us to want to want you, Lord. You'd help us to want to need you, Lord, Lord. Develop a thirst for us, for you, Jesus. Help us to bring our brokenness and disappointment to you, Jesus. The feeling that we've been let down to you, Jesus. And we trust Spirit, the work that you're going to do in and around us now. We pray in your mighty name. Amen.
1: So that was Ben. Um, I thought this was a really great session. I love the way that Ben speaks. We've had him come, haven't we, Chris, and share with some of yeah. the ordinands and lay leaders at Emmanuel before. Um, I love how he speaks with real humility and honesty around just sharing openly about the experiences that he and others around him are having in Manchester as they're planting in new ways really
0: isn't it yeah and I think um I think Ben kind of models the stuff that we've been talking about a few times during this series around being someone who can be really open about the challenges but also see God at work in miraculous ways as well and and you saw that even in that little short talk that we've just listened to um one of the things that struck me was about Ben saying when he felt like God said to him that he was going to train him for hardship. And um, Mm. (laughs) I think that's something, you know, if we told all our ordinands at the start, (laughs) God's going to be training (laughs) you for hardship, they might not like it, but it's, it's so important, isn't it? It's so, it's so crucial really because in whatever kind of ministry you're involved with, it's a, it's what you're going to face and yeah. um and I think sometimes my experience of working in a an estate context has been that the hardship is more perhaps more obvious immediately um and but it's it's always there in, a, in any context that we're in and uh and that thing about I guess we've been we've talked about it a lot how do we be sustainable mm. um how do we how do we live through hardship how do we find joy during hardship um and i think ben's emphasis on seeing the the stories um of god at work in the really tough times i know andre you you've been struck by that story about um big sam and uh, i don't know if you wanted to comment on what what stood out to you from that
3: story yeah i like i mean like you say i think ben is is great and i like the fact he was clearly saying he's still being trained so it's not like i've started this ministry and i was i had all the answers or 10 years in i'm the perfect yeah. perfect model he clearly was still learning and still learning what hardship meant and what it meant to push through which is a good reminder that we're never the finished article and it was good to see him model that but I think the temptation after hearing his talk is to go away thinking about the rice miracle and food miracle and thinking, wasn't that great? God turned up. Isn't he amazing? If you really hear what Ben is saying and you really listen to his talk, that that wasn't the point. The point was it was about his weakness and about Mm -hmm. handing it over to God. And I think even if he finished with the Big Sue story (laughs) where Big Sam had uh, obviously uh, passed away and overdosed, And then Big Sue came up and reminded Ben that it was the best three months of his life and he's in heaven now. So it it is a quote unquote success. Like what's happened is amazing and we should praise God, which obviously isn't a word she would use. But even if Ben has stopped talking there, the point is that in this place of hardship, in this place of God didn't do exactly what I wanted him to do he was still at work and there's still joy and it's the vulnerability that leads us to those moments Mm -hmm. and yes you had this miracle which he talked about but even without that he was teaching us something that I think is never easy to do and we always say here I am God send someone else to do it (laughs) this is what God calls us to in all in all ministry but particularly in this type of ministry
1: yeah, and I think that reminds us, doesn't it, in a really helpful way, of how fragile we all are and how fragile, you know, ministry is. Like, do we build a robust ministry? What what is robust ministry? Actually, it's it's fragile, but there's something really beautiful in fragility, isn't there? You know, I um one of my favourite insects in the garden is the butterfly, and part of its beauty is the The wings of a butterfly are so fragile, aren't they? They're literally paper thin, um. But they are full of life and color, and um. And that's where its beauty is displayed. Is in its fragility, and um. And I wonder if there's something of that. You know, I certainly noticed that when I listened to Ben. I'm reminded again that um. You know, this isn't about us developing the kind of robustness that makes us hard but rather sustainability. You know, we are to be sustained, but we're sustained by God. And because we are fragile um, and life is fragile, but but that doesn't mean it's not beautiful and not to be celebrated.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, the other thing that stood out to me from what Ben's doing is that they're actually trying to create, well, are creating a movement of church planting and i think that's a really interesting thing for us to watch you know we we often hear about church planting movements in other countries um and and the success that they have but to to try and catalyze a church planting movement in the in, in the uk and specifically in an estate church context that's really fascinating to me and and just watching um, you know, from only just down the road in Salford, uh, and as one of you know, Ben's one of my friends, and to see what they're doing, and you know, they they planted um, the first church, and then after about seven years, a few of them moved on to the neighbouring estate, and I, I think that that's going to be a, a really interesting movement to to follow it over the next over the next few years to see what happens as they try to raise up leaders from uh, those contexts and uh, as they um as they try to roll out um a, a number of a number of churches being planted and i think that's that's the challenge really I, th- I think for when i started going into this stuff 20 years ago it was i was thinking oh yeah we'll definitely plant more churches and and we haven't so, so far and um and, and uh, so I think it's an exciting thing that they're trying to do to see uh, how do we plant churches that are small, contextual, flexible, um, uh, l- listening churches that that hear the cries of a community and they see the gifts of a community and respond um, in that way
3: to what God is doing there. I agree with everything you said. Just his his realization and his focus on. Christianity isn't about me, talked Mm. about it not. I I realize it's not about me and my individualism. It's about God and what he's up to. And that may lead us to suffering. It may, it's the Gethsemane moment, isn't it? That it's Mm. not really about me and my comfort and what I want. But sometimes it is just about doing something which to the world looks insane, but God has asked me to do it. So I'm going to be faithful. And I thought that was really powerful, actually. And You want someone like that leading leading churches and leading church plants someone who is just so focused on God and his mission rather than himself and his own brand and yeah I think it was great having Ben along always always a pleasure hearing from him
1: yeah yeah it was great